Good morning. Welcome to worship at First United Methodist Church. Today is the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost. It is also Reformation Sunday. And um, I wanted to share with the congregation um, a, a pastoral note. Uh, I was told this morning by Tripp Smith that uh, a long time, long time couple who attended First Church and uh, moved to Christiansburg, um, Kay and Bob Finch. Um, Bob unfortunately passed away. He was buried yesterday. Uh, we will get in the uh, bulletin Kay's address so that you can send cards of sympathy. Today is All Hallows Eve, and so it is the day before All Saints, which is the 1st of November. We celebrate All Saints Sunday on the first Sunday in November. So next Sunday, we will have an All Saints Remembrance Service. Uh, it is one of the most beautiful and meaningful services of the year. Um, it will be participatory, and there are some special surprises. So I hope that you will, will be here for that service. One important note is that Daylight Savings Time ends next Sunday, 2 o'clock in the morning. So remember to fall back and arrive at church at the, at the correct time. And um, I believe Jill has an announcement to share with us as we continue our worship service. Good morning, everyone. And as you can also see, we are celebrating Halloween and all of its glory this morning, too. Not just glory, but fun. And last night, our what is clearly becoming our annual Halloween bash took place in our Ministry Center parking lot. Uh, we had about 25 kids to come, not just young kids, but our middle school and high school-aged kids as well. We had a, a wonderful array of parents as well as dear friends. So we had about 45 people total for the, for the evening. Um, and it was just terrific. The weather held so that we were able to do everything outside. And you will be seeing in future newsletters pictures of, of the event and how much fun we had. Our altar today is also decorated with the, the mums that Annette Huck felt and the pumpkins that Annette and, and Ann Moore uh, provided to the event. And so with them being left over, Ann and I brought them up so that we could have them be a visual part of our worship this morning as well. A night last night, like last night, does not happen just because. Um, we, I'm continually um, blown away by not only the talent, but the generosity of this congregation. And last night's event was, all of that was on display for our church, not only for our members, but families who were attending, who were coming with church members. And so I really, this morning, do a chapeau, a hat tip, to my partners in crime, because we have become a wonderful little quartet, and I sincerely could not do this without them. They are the hands and the feet and the energy behind this event. And so Snow White, 
um, and we we wanted to dress up today in in the spirit of that. So Anne Moore was critical to that event. Please stand, Snow White. Annette Huckfelt, who also was critical to that event. Yes, she had dripped, and there's Miss Annette coming in from the back too. Please put your hands together for Miss Annette. She even went to see her mom and, and, and Georgia and drove in yesterday in order to be able to get here in time to, to do the setup and then be her wonderful uh, self during the event. And finally, to Craig Dietrich who also provided the fire and the food and just the fun. I know he was there with his family. It was great to see John. It was great to see Kate. Um, so it was, it was truly a wonderful event. And I hope that this will grow within the congregation too because we need more. Mar Miss Marion came by for a little while as well. And I just think it, it can be such a wonderful time of fellowship for us too. And it's taken wings of its own. But again, I could not do this without Anne and Annette and Craig, and I just deeply thank you all. So, yes, please put your hands together for them, and we'll see you next year. I also want to share that uh, on November 3rd, it is Auntie Jill's birthday, so I hope that you will remember her on her special day. Will you stand, please, for the call to worship? Our call to worship is a prayer of St. Thomas Aquinas from the 13th century. Let us unite our voices. Give us, O Lord, steadfast hearts, which no unworthy, unworthy thought, thought can, can drag, drag downward, downward. unconquered hearts, which no tribulation can wear, can wear out, out. Upright, upright hearts, which no unworthy purpose may tempt aside. Bestow upon us also, O Lord our God, understanding to know you, diligence to seek you, wisdom to find you, and faithfulness that may finally embrace you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated as Jill leads us through our hymn sing. Yes, this also marks the fifth Sunday in, in October. So always on fifth Sundays, we start our services with the hymn sing that Betty Shropshire several years ago said that she really wanted to see back in our worship. So I'm delighted that today we get to return to this wonderful festivity. So who would like to be the first to offer a hymn for today's hymn sing and get us going? Oh my gosh, it's Miss Franz Haar. Number 712, everyone. I sing a song of the saints of God. This is a perfect one to do today. Absolutely. Let me get myself together here. And again, we will do the first and the last verse.
right on. That's great. Thank you. Is there another? Yes, Ed. Five sixty-nine. We have a story to tell the nations. that one in a long time. That's great. 261. Hold on, hold on. Where is it? Oh, we did this one also at our chapel service at 830. Miss Rose Howell. Also wanted to do this one. I love this one too, everybody. Let's dance. I 
Yes, Mr. Smith. Yeah, you're a choir member. Can you shout that just a little louder there, Mr. Tripp? What number? 572, everyone. Ah, yes, this takes you back to camp days when you were sitting around the campfire with that cute little girl. No, I, I digress. We're talking about a spark of love in Christ. Here we go. jazz hands ending, right? Yes. Wonderful. Thank you, Tripp. What's another one? Oh, was that you, Miss Stacy? 368! You're right on. You're on. Yes. Here we go, girl. That's right. I did this, Jake and I did this one for you for one of our hymns. Um, online series, didn't we? Yes, I remember this. This is Stacy's favorite hymn. It was it was your family's favorite. Yes, your father's favorite hymn. All right, everybody, get ready. Let's do it. Yeah. 
Are you feeling the spirit now? Amen. Let's do a couple of more. All right, Snow White. Just turn a la, turn a la page, turn a la page, right? As they say in France, 370, everybody. Victory in Jesus. Yes. Here we go. Miss Margaret. 140. 140, everyone. Oh. Oh, my goodness. Well, folks, we're going to have to sing this whole song. Yes? Right on. This third verse is... Very special to me, too.
like I said, let's sing the whole hymn. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. unite our voices in our opening prayer. Loving God, may we not only love but accept and enjoy each other.
May your love, joy, peace, and patience be at the heart of our relationships with one another, along with your kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. May we encourage each other and build one another up in every circumstance. May we be willing to love each other as unconditionally as you love us, for such love forgives the wrongs of others and makes up for their many personal faults. In love, help us forgive without holding on to anger, resentment, or disappointment. May we love and accept one another just as we are, not waiting for change or perfection, as in Christ you have accepted us. Help us be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other as you have forgiven us. Amen. I'd like to ask for the attention of the children for just a moment. So I know that tonight people are going to be going out trick-or-treating. I know that many people have visited the Pumpkin Patch, the Grace Network Ministries Pumpkin Patch, and bought pumpkins, and that many people will be carving their pumpkins before tonight. Um, Some of the pumpkin carving that I've seen on Pinterest is just dazzling to me, the kind of detail that people now can do. I remember as a child, it was just two circles and a triangle and a a mouthful of teeth, and that was hard enough. But now you get all kinds of shading, and just it's astonishing. I looked up this week exactly how far away, if it were completely dark, how far away uh, the human eye could see a, a lighted candle. And um, the answers varied very widely from 1.3 miles to 30 miles if you happen to be directly above the candle. Um, but I, just, I was still astonished by the 1.3 miles. You could see one single candle burning. And I thought about jack-o'-lanterns and how their light shines forth from the parts that have been cut out of them. And, and I was just thinking today that it's important for us to think about how our lives shine forth the light of Christ. Something worth thinking about, something I think that jack-o'-lanterns can remind us of, that we are called to let our light shine, not hide it under a bushel, and that we are called to shine forth the light of Christ, to give light in what is sometimes a very dark world. Sometimes the only light of hope anyone is going to see, they're going to see in in the kindness that you do with your hands, the kindness that you say with your words, the kindness with which you live your life. So this this evening, when you are out and about and seeing lots of jack-o'-lanterns, I hope it will be a reminder to you and to all of us to let your light shine and to allow Christ's light to shine through you. Thank you. As we prepare to receive God's holy word, let us pray. Gracious God, give us humble, teachable, and obedient hearts that we may receive what you have revealed and do what you have commanded. Amen. Our New Testament lesson this morning is found in the 15th chapter of Romans, beginning with the 7th verse. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you, for the glory of God. 
For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the circumcised on behalf of the truth of God in order that he might confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. And again he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse shall come, and the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning is found in the fifth chapter of Luke's gospel, beginning with the 27th verse. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house, and there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others sitting at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. I come across a lot of quotes by or about Winnie the Pooh in memes on Facebook and Pinterest. So in considering unlikely sources of discipleship advice, I figured Winnie the Pooh would be a good source of such advice. Not having read Winnie the Pooh or its sequel, The House at Pooh Corner, since childhood, I immediately ordered both books from Amazon. I have not read a book that came out in 2016 titled The Gospel According to Winnie the Pooh, but it is on my Amazon list. I did come across the story of a prominent pastor who was somewhat daunted one morning to see one of his seminary professors, an acclaimed New Testament scholar, sitting amongst the congregation on the day that he was preaching about Winnie the Pooh. And he was pretty nervous about what kind of comment the professor might make afterward, but was pleasantly surprised when the professor said, there is little in life that cannot be more clearly discerned through the hermeneutic of Winnie the Pooh. In the Gospels, we have many stories of Jesus being remarkably kind to people, loving and including them in ways that were not seen in society in his day. He ate with sinners, he talked with children, and took women seriously, things that religious men did not do at the time. In the New Testament, we have a number of texts about interrelationship, about the importance of community and everyone's part in it. We have the text from the second chapter of Acts, in which the Christian community was distinguished by their generosity and love for one another. In the third chapter of Galatians, Paul writes about the diversity but also the unity of the Christian community. 
There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And at its heart, I think Winnie the Pooh is an extended treatise on kindness, inclusion, interrelationship, and community that is blessed by diversity. I really am excited about reading this book, The Gospel According to Winnie the Pooh. It was written by Bruce Epperly, who is a professor at Wesley Theological, Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C. And the write-up on the back of the book says this. Winnie and his friends reflect the many faces of following Jesus with faithfulness. Good news abounds as they discover a gentle providence for every season and challenge of life. The anxious piglet, depressive Eeyore, micromanaging and xenophobic rabbit, bouncy and live-in-the-moment tigger, meandering poo, the wise but foolish owl, the immigrant Tonga and Rue, the child Christopher Robin, facing the challenges of growing up, all experience the grace of interdependence grounded in the gentle providence that guides our daily lives. The stories as a whole are parables of grace, interdependence, acceptance, and self-discovery. Stories about innocence experienced, innocence lost, and innocence rediscovered, and the possibility that we can cultivate simplicity in the complicated world of growing up. I find that children's literature often is this way. There's a story that appeals to children on one level and larger themes for the adults that are reading the book to them uh, to grasp onto. Winnie the Pooh is especially appealing, I think, because we all need community, children and adults alike. Communities help us to find our our moral compass, our spiritual center, our paths in life. We need communities of conscience and care filled with all sorts of interesting and sometimes quirky people, quite fallible yet willing to take us as we are in our own wondrous humanity. People who are kind even when they challenge us. The story is set in the 100-acre wood, a peaceable kingdom that has inspired children for almost 100 years. Winnie the Pooh was written by A.A. Milne in 1926. It is a place where everyone knows your name, everyone sees your imperfections, but accepts you anyway. A community where kindness rules in word and deed. It is a gospel-y place where you are accepted just as you are and loved in all your unique quirkiness. It strikes me that that's what church is at its best and what church has always been. When I think about what we know about the disciples, they were both flawed and faithful, cowardly and brave, big-spirited and narrow-minded, boldly faithful and doubting, and their very uniqueness became the very rock upon which the Christian church was built and grew. Jesus always saw more in people than meets the eye. He brought out the best in people, and even if the best didn't seem particularly good, Jesus found a way to use that imperfection 
to bring about something beautiful in the world. Well, A.A. Milne creates a community of stuffed animals that come to life and do the same. And thus, I find Winnie the Pooh not just an unlikely source of discipleship advice, but the whole community in the 100-acre wood to hold lessons for the church about community. I think about Eeyore, the donkey, who was always ready to look for a dark cloud on a sunny day. There's a meme on Facebook, which is a quote by George Takai of Star Trek fame about Eeyore, and it says this. One awesome thing about Eeyore is that even though he is basically clinically depressed, he still gets invited to participate in adventures and shenanigans with all his friends, and they never expect him to pretend to feel happy. They just love him anyway, and they never leave him behind or ask him to change. Well, in the church, when we are at our best, we welcome people just as they are, and we love them without asking them to prove that they are worthy of that love first. That's one of the things that makes the church unlike any other place on earth. Then there is Piglet, always a little anxious, self-conscious about being smallish in a world oh so big. And yet it is Piglet who often saves the day, summoning his courage to rescue his friends from danger. I think about David versus Goliath, and I think about Jesus using the disciples to, to take their meager resources of two fish and five loaves of bread to feed over 5,000 people. God is always calling people who feel inadequate to the task, but God equips them with dreams and tools to do more than they could ever imagine. Now, Rabbit is the micromanager of the group. He is suspicious of anything unfamiliar, especially strangers. Now, it has been said that the last seven words of a dying church are, we've never done it that way before. Rabbit invented the phrase. He likes how things were in the good old days and worries that strangers will destroy all that is holy. And yet he overcomes his suspicion towards strangers and makes new friends with the immigrants who come to the 100-acre wood, Kanga and Rue. Kanga and Rue are interesting characters. In the Bible, there are a number of texts about strangers in a strange land, mostly referring to the Israelites in exile. Kanga and Rue do not confirm Rabbit's suspicions. They do not destroy the way of life he has known. Instead, what they do is they give heart to the community. Owl uses big words and no one understands him. He gets tangled in his own words and often ends up not understanding himself. He wants everyone to know that he is the smartest, wisest animal in the woods. As Epperly puts it, he is wise but foolish, yet he is loved, the brightest and the simplest, the insider and the outsider, the anxious and the depressed, all belong in God's realm. Exuberant Tigger hops through the forest, always talking a little too loudly, always happily inappropriate, and yet his messy spirituality is authentic and real and life-giving to the community. 
And finally, there's Winnie the Pooh himself, who meanders through the 100-acre wood in search of honey, bemoaning his little brain, but nonetheless so obviously all heart and love. He reminds us that love is the only thing that really matters. It's a gospel lesson about how, when we love God and one another, we are the church that God wants us to be. We are the church that God calls us to be, and we are the church that God equips us to be. In the 100-acre wood, they all belong. They are all needed. They are all important. Each has a gift to share. Together, they bring out the best in each other, just like the body of Christ, as described by the Apostle Paul in the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All those are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. For just as the body is one and has many members, And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into the one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot were to say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear were to say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. May it be so. In the 100-acre wood at First United Methodist Church in Martinsville, Virginia, and in the church throughout the world. Thanks be to God. Amen.
Let us pray. Loving and eternal God, we pray this day for the family and friends of Bob Finch in their grief. We thank you for his legacy in the church, including this congregation. And we are grateful that the gifts of eternal rest and eternal peace now in you are something he enjoys for always. We pray this day for the people of Sharando United Methodist Church following a terrible fire this week which destroyed their sanctuary and much of their church building. We pray for people who will remember their baptisms there, their confirmations there, their weddings there, funerals of loved ones there, and who now need to rebuild with those memories, knowing that that sacred space will never quite be the same. We thank you for this community of faith, for all of the different gifts represented within it, and the ways that together we can work to be more than just the sum of our parts, and that when we do, we are the church you call us to be. All this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Will you stand and affirm your faith with the Apostles' Creed? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come again to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. This morning, Wayne Withers is going to come and share with us a stewardship moment. Thank you, Wayne. Good morning. Jill, I have to tell you, uh, thank you for that song about uh, Christopher Robin. When I was in college, my uh, friend hosted a a campus radio show on Saturday mornings. And for three years, every time he ended the show, he played that song. (laughs) Yeah. And that makes up for what you did to me shortly before 10 o'clock this morning when Danny told me that uh, the fire alarm was going off. So I come down here to the church, I mean to the chapel, and uh, I walk in the back door, and over there in that corner, 
Every few seconds is a little tiny red light that blinks, and it's completely dark back there. And while I'm standing back there, I start hearing something, music, and I turn around, and there's just a little light on up here, and there's a little light over there, and there's a witch sitting here <laughs> at the piano playing that song that you ended with, and I'm like, maybe I need to go home. Because <laughs> I've never seen this in church before. Um, this past week, uh, Judge Greer called me and asked me to speak today, and I'm like, what do I talk about? And so I called the pastor on, I think it was Thursday, and she said, Wayne, just talk about how your faith developed and what's going on with it now. And I said, okay. So I started thinking, and I thought about this a lot. Why am I the way I am? Why do I have faith in the Lord? Because it's not my success. It's what other people did for me. Um, the development of my faith, of course, comes from the Lord, but importantly, from the people I've known here in the church and my family. My earliest remembrance is before my brothers were born, always being taken to church by my parents, uh, Sunday school, vacation Bible school, or, but as I got older, I would tell my mother I really didn't want to do that because I was, and she informed me that I was, so uh, that's why I went. And there's always people, personal people, close people, that lead to your faith. And that, I think, was my grandmother's. Uh, both my dad's mother was always talking to me about things. And most importantly was my maternal grandmother. We called her Mama. And when I was two years old, my grandfather died, and Mama came to live with us. And from my earliest remembrances, I remember her reading the Bible to me, talking to me about the church, right and wrong, and why and how God loved me. And that stayed with me the rest of my life to this day. And I sat down many a time, and like I told the pastor, why am I the way I am? And on Wednesday afternoons, we always do the sentencing in court, and I get a detailed report on the uh, defendants that we're getting ready to do, sentence. And I think about why they're the way they are and why I ended up, not on my part, but from other people, the way I am. And it came back to the love that my parents showed me, my family showed me, and my church family showed me over the years. And I think, I just wish more parents would understand that when they're raising their children. And I also thought deeply about the growth of my faith. Um, I came to learn that God provides me with love and is there to get you through and me through the tough times. And he never said that there wasn't going to be tough times, but I'll be there with you. And I started thinking about that 
23 years ago when my son was born and I was talking to my mother and she was asking me what it was like to be a father. And I said, well, I like it, but I have to tell you, mother, I worry about Matthew and this and that all the time. I want him with me and want to look out for him and everything. And she's, my mother said, you can't do that. Says, and I'll never forget this, leave it in God's hands and hand it over to him. He will help you. And oh, how those words have spoke up in the last two years, or excuse me, five years. My wife's mother died in December 2014. My father died in September of 2016. And then in February of 2018, Nancy's brother died unexpectedly. And right after he passed away, I get the call to South Florida that my mother is getting bad. So I have to tell you with uh, those words of my mother and the Lord ringing in it, I'll be with you, I'll get you through this. I was able to get through all that. And I can't tell you how I was able to get through making decisions for my mother and father, especially my dad, and how God speaks through other people to tell you it's okay. Uh, I had to make several decisions. Nancy was there about were we going to do certain things for my dad, you know, additional medical care or procedures. And, you know, I was, I had to make that decision. And uh, my dad spoke to me and God through my dad. And he said, my family always called me Neil. My middle name's O'Neill, but my family called me Neil. And my dad, who was incoherent most of the time, he leaned forward and in a moment, I understood what he said. He said, Neil, I'm tired. Let me go. So I did that. And it wasn't easy, but uh, the faith in God and knowing that they were going, my uh, relatives were going to be okay, and we'd see them again, got me through that. But one of the most uh, amazing things is, and I've told very few people about this, about 15 months ago, last summer, I have a physical every year. And I went over here to Carilion Clinic, and my doctor checked out and everything, and she says, you have any complaints, Wayne? I said, yeah, my chest hurts a lot right in here. And I, I don't know if I pulled a muscle or it's stress or something like that. And she says, well, I don't think it's anything. Your heart sounds good, but let me uh, run an electrocardiogram. And she ran that, and she came in, and she says, well, Wayne, it did show one thing your uh, T-ways for your ventral are inverted. They're turned upside down. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? And she says, well, it can mean bad things and it can mean good things. Or mean nothing, I guess I should say. And uh, she says, but I want you to see a cardiologist. And, you know, you're thinking, oh, this, this is going to be okay. And by the time I get back to my office... The doctor's office is called, and the cardiologist wants to see me the next morning. And I'm like, boy, that's awful quick for him to get, you know, usually they set you off at a distance. But he saw me the next morning. And I got there about 8.30, a little before the doctor did. And they got me ready to see the doctor. And the doctor came in, and he introduced himself. And he told the nurse, he says, I want, uh, I've got his electrocardiogram from yesterday. I want to run another one on him right now. And uh, he was pretty calm. But then I noticed as he ran the electrocardiogram 
And there's certain expressions you don't want to see on a doctor or an airplane pilot, and that is the look of concern. Well, this man, who is probably 60-something years old, and I'm sure he's seen everything under the sun, he stands up, and I can tell he's concerned because he pulls on the computer, he has the papers from the day before, and then he's running the ones on me, and I see him looking back and forth. And he turns to me, and he says, Wayne, I think you're having a cardiac event right now. He says, I think your arteries are clogged, and I've got to get you to the hospital. And I'm like almost to the point of panic. But then I, uh, he started talking to me about what I was going to do and everything. And, I, and my first thought was to call Nancy and tell her where I was going. Because he said, you're going over here to the hospital, and then you're going to Roanoke. Uh, and I called her and told her where I was going to be and where she could meet me. And... Uh, the doctor said right before they took me in the ambulance over here to the hospital, he said, before I do, I want to do an echocardiogram where they put that wand on your chest and roll it back and forth. And he says, I want to see what we're exactly looking at. So they take me across the hall, and to show how concerned he was, he, uh, he did the test himself. He didn't let the technician. He got the thing, and, and he would tell her certain things he was looking for and everything. Well, they brought me back across the room waiting for the ambulance to come in, and the doctor said, well, Wayne, I have some good news and I have some bad news for you. Once again, something you don't want to hear from a doctor. And he says, I don't think you have anything wrong with the arteries of your heart. They look good. But I do see something else, and I want to get that checked out. And what it turned out to be was um, where your heart muscle enlarges and um, makes the flow of blood in and out not work as good. Well... I'm happy to report that through all the testing I have, it seems like the blood flow is still good. I just have to watch it, and I have to be monitored and things like that. But, so God has blessed me with that. Well, I got home two days later, and I asked Nancy, when I called you, honey, what did I sound like? Did I sound nervous or upset? And she says, not at all. She said, you seem pretty calm. And I, and I didn't understand why. And I said, well, honey... Let me tell you something. When the doctor told me that, I was frightened for an instant. But then a voice just as clear as the pastor speaking to me, and it was God, said, Neil, it's not time. You're going to be okay. And it worked out. And I hope it continues to work out. But I know that if it doesn't, where I'm going and who loves me and who cares for me. And I want to thank you all for that love and care that you've always shown me. Thank you. Will the ushers please come forward? As forgiven and reconciled people, let us now return thanks to God with our gifts of tithes and offerings. Let us pray. Loving God, we thank you for Wayne's message to us this morning. We give you thanks for our ability to place our trust, our lives in your hands. We give you thanks for all of the ways that we are able to discern your presence and activity in our lives. And most of all, we are so honored 
that we are able to act out of our thankfulness to do that which you call us to do. Help us to be faithful to that task, for it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.
Our closing hymn is In Unity We Lift Our Song. It is found on page 2221 in The Faith We Sing.
Now may you go forth in peace. May you go forth into the world to make it look a little bit more like God wants it to look. Amen.